like if you're going to be that person that wants to be the intervention, like be ready to be uncomfortable. Like some of the things you said made me incredibly uncomfortable. So I'm talking with Mark Meinke, and this is actually round two. We did a podcast already, and we're just going to explore a couple of things. I thought it was really interesting. So he does a podcast, uh, and it's called Operation Tango Romeo, and it's the trauma recovery podcast for first responders, veterans, et cetera. And you're saying that you're very specific about the people that you want on your show, right? And there's this thing that we're all dealing with that we hear about all the time, victim mentality, and you don't look for victims on your show. What does that look like? What is victim mentality when it comes to PTSD? Victims are the ones that just want to be acknowledged over and over and over again for what happened to them, but are not interested in moving forward. Right. And it's something I wrestle with because there's something called holding space, part of good listening. And you got to do that in the beginning. Well, if I'm going to hold space for somebody, I'll do it once, maybe twice. But if we're on lap number 16, Mm -hmm. he's like, okay, hang on, time out. We got to move forward here. Yeah. Um, I've held the space. I've acknowledged. I've um, given you that. What are we doing about it? There has to be a point in time where we move forward. Now, the reason that I struggle with this is because often people will do the douchey thing and not hold space in the first place. Mm-hmm. They're going straight for solutions right off the bat. And you can't do that. Like you have to first hold space, acknowledge what's going on, validate that. Yeah, dude, that sucks. That is a big deal. And you have to do that first. And the moving forward conversation can't be in the same conversation unless it's asked of you. Otherwise you're being a bit of a dick. Right, right. It's not for you just to intervene and say, like, here's my two cents worth. There is a a kind of permission that you're looking for before you take that next step. Right. Because that will isolate that person. Yeah. Um, in, In the initial conversation, maybe the initial two conversations, it's all about validating their experience, saying, I believe you. That that sounds like a lot. That's a big deal. And it's natural that you would feel that way, mm-hmm. you know, validating. And um, if you don't do that, by default, you're doing the opposite. You're trivializing. And when somebody feels trivialized, they go into isolation. They feel like there's something wrong with them. And you're doing the opposite of encouraging them to seek help. Right. Yeah. This sounds very similar to grieving. Mm -hmm. I'll share an example in regards to my sister. I hope she doesn't mind (laughs) talking about her story. Uh, But my mom passed away five years ago. Uh, I don't remember two years of my life after that moment. Like, it's really just a blur. So when I think about the fact that I'm 44 already, I'm like, how did that happen? I should be like 43, 42. And my sister and I grieved very differently. Both 
of us grieved incredibly hard. But there was this one point after four years where she kind of wasn't moving forward. Now, I had already gotten permission from her as my sister to where she's calling me and she's asking me for help. And maybe you can shed some light on this. I just went with my gut instinct that maybe it was time for me to say something to her in regards to taking that step forward. I'm like, you know, Jana, I love you. And I understand you miss mom. And I do too, right? But mom would not want you to be here. We need to start changing the story. I'm hearing a lot of the same things from her over and over, like four years down the road. I'm like, we need to find an intervention or a pattern interrupt here and start telling a little bit of a different story. Because I guess what will happen is that people will just start making their own story worse. People get addicted to the victim mentality because it makes them special. Wow, that's profound, yeah. I've seen people fake cancer. They fake cancer so that, not so that, because of the empathy and attention that comes with it. Mm -hmm. The drive for affirmation is so strong it is really the number one human emotional need is affirmation, but really it's a sense of connection. Connection is the, is the biggest need that any of us have. And we ask for that connection primarily through affirmation, just a sense of I matter. You see me, I exist. I, my word matters. Like the people that are constantly interrupting, you can't get in a word in edgewise. That is somebody that, is not self-aware, but is also desperate to be heard. That's why they won't shut up. It's a right. trauma response. Hmm. That's wild. And <laughs> listening to one of your episodes, and this is good in business and life, period, is to be a good listener, an active listener, right? Now, what would someone be listening for to be able to differentiate that person that is being a victim, right? Opposed to being able to maybe help that person get on the right path. Uh, like, is there, I guess when someone's in a victim mentality, can you help that person? No. Right. So what has to happen within themselves? Cause I mean, I'm guessing that doesn't come externally. It gets back to the power of why you recover out loud. Mm-hmm. I have got people into the system seeking professional help without ever suggesting to them that they should. Because, hey, Mark, how, how was your day yesterday? Oh, it was great. I was off to the therapist and I don't bury it and I don't whisper it. I just say it like it ain't no thing but a chicken wing. <laughs> you know, it just, right. um, I just say it. And, um, or I'll say, well, yesterday was rough. Went mm -hmm. to therapy. Therapy can be a bitch. And, mm -hmm. and whatever the truth is, I'll, I'll just say it. Mm -hmm. But, um, I don't hide that I'm seeking help. I don't hide that I'm in a peer support group. I don't hide that I'm in therapy and I don't hide that I suffer. I also don't make it the focal point of my life. It's something that I'm doing. It's something that I'm going through. And then what I have found is the same people that I'll sh not overshare, you know, <laughs> but they're aware of what, what I'm doing and what path I'm on. 
Then they start asking me questions. Then you know they're ready for help. Right. But I don't have to offer it. They'll ask. So what did you do about this? And what was this like? And what was that like? Oh, those are called buying signals. And they're starting to buy into the idea that, hey, if you can do this, maybe I can do this. Now, I've learned something from you from this last podcast that we did (laughs) that I'm not sure other people are going to (laughs) hear. It's the way that you speak was raw. Like some of the stuff that you've been through is raw. And maybe we'll find our way into that later on in this one. I just want to gently massage people through the process. But to also (laughs) be ready, like if you're going to be that person that wants to be the intervention, like be ready to be uncomfortable. Like some of the things you said made me incredibly uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And if you're used to this because you've been doing this for a while, like in regards to your yes, good with where you're at. I, shared, I wasn't able to even tell my wife until I was in my mid to late forties. Right. So I, I, I understand that. Right. But for the person that's me trying to help my friend, and then they come up with some of the stuff that popped out of your mouth. And, <laughs> and I don't know how to react is me not knowing how to react a detriment or is it more important that I'm just there to listen? It's okay to, sh- to be shocked when you hear that somebody's been raped or molested. It's okay to get the big saucer eyes. If anything, that's validating. Because if it's shocking for you, think about what they're going through. If it's shocking for you to just hear it, think how shocking it is to live it. So... Getting the big saucer eyes, taking the big breath, being shocked, being aghast, that's okay. And in fact, that is providing the affirmation that the other person needs to hear. That way, when you say to them, whoa, dude, that's a lot. You've been through some shit. Mm -hmm. You mean it. Right. And that's good. You're providing affirmation. It's not a, that's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Yeah. Now let's just scrape the surface on some of these things, just so people know where you're coming from. Yeah. Okay. Is so you served five years. I did. And you said something profound in regards to coming home. Like once you've gone to war, like you never come back the same. What was it? That you said, yeah, that's uh, nobody ever truly returns home for more, right? So there's some horrendous things that you saw there. Um, you've dealt with sexual abuse, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, Like rape, suicide, and the reason why I want to say that is for the person that's listening right now, and we can touch on, you know, some people thinking that. Other people's problems are bigger, but everyone's problems are big to that person themselves, right? Don't minimize your, your problems. But if Mark can overcome like all this adversity and be a person of power and having recovered out loud and helping other people do the same, like anything's possible. Like, so I want to commend you on that. Like, I have a tremendous amount of respect for you. Uh, I, I really appreciate your transparency and what a fantastic thing that you're 
that you're doing for people. And for the person out there right now that's listening and they're afraid, they don't really know where to turn, what would be like the number one piece of advice in a very difficult landscape of PTSD? Like what, what would be that, that one that makes the top of the list every time? It's not your fault. Yeah. And it's okay to not be okay. And healing happens. Mm -hmm. So it can be a life sentence, but it doesn't always have to suck this bad. It can get better, but not without work. Not Mm -hmm. without work. You've got to take the steps required. Um, You're not going to find relief in a bottle. You won't. Mm-hmm. marijuana is a nice coping mechanism for anxiety, but it will not heal you. It won't, it can't, but it can support your healing. Use the show, tune in, listen to other people's experiences, to what they did to walk the healing walk. Pick the one that's, that you think might work for you and try it. If it doesn't work, try the next one. If that doesn't work, try the next one, but keep walking forward. If you stay still, you're going to do nothing but suffer. Yeah. It's wild in researching PTSD, and I think I've had a bout of it myself on a number of different occasions. I always used to think it was something that was military because my experience was working in Pembroke and living in Petawawa It was having friends going on tours, coming back, being different. I worked in a bar and it was a very popular bar in the Valley. And the stuff that I saw in there, like grown men punching women in the face. Jesus. Yeah. It was just they that, that wasn't them. Like that wasn't something that was happening before, right? Like I'd been there before that wasn't happening. And it was always, you know, a transition of a tour, someone coming back. It was almost always the case. Uh, And in some cases, obviously, you know, it takes time for it to manifest. And that's just one, that's just one particular type of manifestation of PTSD would be going to war. Uh, You know, there's first responders who your podcast also caters to. And then I saw other things like a gentleman, a friend of mine, he was vaccine injured, you know, and he's suffering from PTSD with that. Uh, abusive relationships, whether it be emotionally or physically, like you had told me that trauma is trauma. That's right. Now there's a whole bunch of different traumas. Does that mean there's a whole bunch of different approaches for those traumas? Or is there one that's generally kind of a baseline that anyone that might be dealing with that kind of trauma can use to move forward? There's a lot of different modalities. Mm-hmm. A lot of different modalities. And again, pick, picking the one that's right for you. When you have complex trauma, um, you try to make a trauma timeline, start with what you think might be the biggest one. And the one you pick is probably not the biggest one because you're probably not facing it. And, mm-hmm. and so you don't see it as the biggest one. Mm-hmm. But uh, you just start knocking them down one at a time. Um, EMDR has high efficacy. Reconsolidation therapy is interesting, uh, worth looking at. 
ketamine clinics done right, definitely worth looking at. Uh, psychedelics, um, psilocybin, definitely worth looking at done correctly with a shaman. Mm. And people will hear a word like shaman and they go, oh, you know, that's just some woo-woo. Right. Right. But it it is good stuff. And the biggest, um, the most, what's the, what, what am I looking for here? The best success stories that I've heard have not been from regular therapy. I mean, occasionally, you know, but psychedelics, I, I get all the best stories from, from people that have moved forward. Equine therapy, people don't understand what that is, but that's a whole other topic. It's wonderful. And if you're ready for it, but at the end of the day, pick what you're ready for. You know, mm-hmm. it's a, it, it's a mountain. It's an elephant one bite at a time. Yeah. But uh, pick something, whatever you think you're comfortable with. It doesn't matter. Just pick it and then use the show to fine tune it and, and decide what you want to do. Can someone live a life like a healthy life with underlying PTSD. You know, there's people who suffer, who've got the nightmares every night, like I do, and um, are always exhausted like I am, but are able to perform highly. Mm-hmm. I was a high performer for a while. Um, I was making a couple hundred grand a year. Every year, I was doing well, had money. It was good. But um, I couldn't keep it going. And there's others that have a pretty highfalutin lifestyle. But really, when they're home alone and nobody's looking, what's actually going on is hellish. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't know it from uh, um, the Bentley in the driveway, but they're going through it too. Mm-hmm. And, and it's hellish. That's why we see people with, you know, $100 million committing suicide. That's crazy. Because, uh, yeah, they can perform within a certain lane. They can perform, but it doesn't mean that they're not suffering. I've created Operation Tango Romeo for myself as the lane that I can perform it. it mm-hmm. I custom made, I custom built it for my strengths and my weaknesses. So this is a lane that I can do well in. It's the largest veteran hosted trauma recovery podcast in the world that I know of. Yeah. And uh, if there's a bigger one, please, somebody point it out to me. I'll have them on as a guest. But as far as I know, it is the biggest one. And, um, that's because I custom made this lane for me in a right. way that I, I, my self-awareness is high enough that I know what I can do, and what I can't do. So for so someone, I- so for someone that, you know, is suffering in silence, like so many people do with PTSD and aren't as resourceful as you are, like, what are some of the warning signs in which PTSD can manifest to where someone knows, okay, you know what, this is maybe something I'm not managing as well as I thought. And it's time for me to start my road to recovery. One of the ones that I ignored for ever was um, suicidal thoughts, hmm. Con- contemplating suicide. And how Even serious I- does that thought have to be? I'm sorry to interject because oh, no, I mean, not at all. because everyone uh, is on top of a tall building. I think at one point, like, oh, if I was to jump off, knowing that I can't, or at least maybe that was a real suicidal thought. But, you know, people, 
I would think most would have had at least that thought at one point. When is that thought too serious a thought to where it shouldn't be ignored? If, if it pops into your head, even as amusing more than once a month, mm-hmm. deal with it. Right. Talk to a professional. Mm-hmm. It was in my head all day, every day for years. And um, it took that all day, every day, running through scenarios of how to end myself, never actually wanting to, but fighting off the intrusive thoughts of doing it for years before I finally dealt with it. Because I thought, oh, it's just an intrusive thought. I won't actually do it until I tried. Right. But it's and- always a dangerous thought to have. Yeah. And it has to be explored. Why is this, why is this coming up? Because it's a symptom. And so suicidal thoughts that are happening more than once a month. You don't need to have a plan. Just the, th- the fact that you're musing about it is enough, more than enough. If you are avoiding activities, whatever those activities are, if there's things that you used to, to enjoy and you're not doing them anymore, for me, it's canoeing. I haven't been canoeing forever because the administration of canoeing like the steps that i have to do to make it happen are overwhelming to me which is why i'm not doing it even though i love it and so what are you avoiding things that you used to love to do and you're not doing them anymore that's a sign should be looking at that right and can it also be things that generally you just normally do even though there's no a joy uh there's no joy associated to them like i remember after my mother passed away which was a very traumatic event for me uh, out of nowhere, I had a very hard time paying my bills. Mm-hmm. I never used to miss a bill. And then after that, I just structure became incredibly difficult for me. Excellent example. Um, yeah, that is absolutely that's uh, and I still suffer from that. Okay. Paying my bills on time, uh, dealing with anything administrative is. And it, it's so difficult to empathize for that because people that have no problem with administration, they're like, you just do it. It takes like two seconds. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> and um, I get why it's hard to have empathy for that, but yeah. I just can't. I mean, right here on my desk, I got these traffic tickets that I'm supposed to be dealing with. I'm not dealing with them. Yeah. So I'm going to end up paying them when I have to pay them. Or afterwards. <laughs> with, with, with the late fee, yeah. you know, and uh, do, do I want that to happen? No. I want to file the paperwork and fight it in court and... Mm-hmm. I just can't have it be more difficult than it needs to be. That's the crazy thing is that it's more difficult to let it, you know, just sit out there and do nothing about it. And then, yeah, we'll just stress ourselves more uh, moving forward. And that just brings me to a a question that I want to throw out there because we both have had or have a relationship with Theo Fleury. Have you had him on your show? Four times. We just did a speaking gig together um, last Friday. We, right. uh, we drove up to Edmonton together in, in his Range Rover. Very nice Range Rover. All right. Anyway, stop one-upping me, okay? <laughs> I've only had him on the show once. <laughs> and he told me a good place to eat when I was in Calgary. I sent him a message, and he actually responded to me, so I felt pretty good about that. Uh, and and wonder, what a wonderful, transparent man in regards to being in this space of trauma. And now I know that this guy was drugged up to the teeth, and he drank a lot during his playing career. But he suffered from incredible trauma. Like, how is it? Like, I know that you said, you know, you can function at a high level. But I mean, that was physically, he had to be like 
he was he's arguably one of the greatest hockey players of all time that was dealing with absurd amounts of trauma and yet somehow was able to perform at that level like are there some people like the ice was his escape right he wasn't thinking about getting raped when he was skating his ass off right so his catharsis his coping mechanism was what he excelled at Mm -hmm. as soon as he got off the ice it was a mess right and he didn't survive it he's burnt through all kinds of wives and um relationships and you know it didn't work out so well for his real life but his coping mechanism which was sport he's thinking about nothing about but getting the next goal and while he's on the ice in that game he's in a happy place and he was able to use the rage that was inside him to i mean a five foot six dude taking on six foot four guys you know, and they didn't want to fight him because he was freaking crazy. Yeah. And, um, and they would back off, but, and he'd back off from nobody. Right. You know, so he used the rage, he used the symptoms to his benefit for uh, much like I'm, I'm on this show. I'm able to be successful at this show because the show is largely a coping mechanism for me. It is a healing tool for me. That's why I'm able to excel at it. Same with Theo on the ice. But like, I think about today's landscape that we're living in and with these mandates and me being one of those individuals myself where I can't do a lot of the things that I was able to do before. Now, I've taken this as an opportunity to divorce externals because, you know, they do not determine my joy. They can bring me joy, but I will not let them determine my joy. So I've divorced that world and I'm working very much uh, on my internals. You've mentioned isolation on a, on a couple of occasions, and I can't think of a more isolating period of time in my life than when literally people are saying that you cannot be a part of society in this way. If you just happen to be one of those individuals uh, that maybe has decided to take a stance in regards to not wanting to, you know, have medical intervention or just all the chaos that's going on in the world in regards to just the trauma of seeing how people are treating one another. That's, that's, I, I know that's a very large, that was me more thinking out loud and maybe what do you think about that? The pain of PTSD is the isolation. It's the disconnection, mm-hmm. the injury manifests in disconnection you're disconnected from yourself from your identity from who you used to be disconnected from your loved ones you're disconnected from society that disconnection is what leads to suicide because you feel like you're alone and now these covid mandates are doing that to everybody and I'm sure they're hiding the suicide stats, but I can guarantee you that they are uh, off the charts. Just today, two more uh, gone. I saw on my Facebook feed. Isolation is the pain. Disconnection is the pain. So what can we control? What can't we control? 
I can't control whether or not somebody's going to let me go watch the movies with my kids. I can't control that. I can't stomp my feet and say, no, you're going to let me in to watch the, the movies with my kids. You're going to let me into this movie theater. I can't do that. So instead of focusing on what I can't do, I have to focus on what I can do. I could take my kids to the mountains and we can go climb a mountain. And we did. I can take them to the river and we can skip rocks. So we did. I focus on what I can do. Because the truth of the matter is, the things that we can do are greater than the things that we can't do. The things that we can't do are frivolities anyway. They're not actually important. And I'm taking it as a gift because going to the movie theater versus going for a hike uh, uh, through a field or in the mountains or wherever, it's not even close. The hike is way better. It's a memory. It's a better way to connect with my children. It's just better, better, better. And well, why don't I prefer the better? Why, why focus on the thing that's less good for me, that's less enjoyable, that I can't do? I'm going to focus the, on the things that are more enjoyable and I can do. And that's a choice that I get to make. So focusing on the good and acknowledging the bad and the restrictions, but work around it, improvise, adapt, and overcome because there's fuck all I can do about it. Now, throughout your experience and your growth and your recovery, et cetera, what's one thing that you've really come to love about yourself? Ooh. I'm writing a, trying to write a book called Three Small Steps. It's taking everything I've learned about this path and breaking it into three small steps, which is are actually three giant leaps. Step one is knowing yourself. Step two is loving that person. Then step three is acting accordingly. Mm. And loving myself is a challenge. So, and it's also an act more than it is a feeling. Right. So to love myself, I keep promises to myself. That's how I show self-respect. And one of the promises I've been keeping to myself is I've been learning French. J'ai étudié français chaque jour avec Duolingo dans ma table. And I've been... <laughs> I've been learning, the neige. That's all I know. <laughs> I've been learning a little bit every day. Right. Uh, tous les jours, every day, um, for the last 350 days without skipping a single one. That's awesome. I, I just want to interject one thing. You said it's difficult to love yourself. Why? I'm not going to let that skip. <laughs> well, I'm not overly sure why, but it is. So to love myself, I'm keeping promises to myself. That's why I'm answering in this way. Right. Because it's an action. That's why you make your bed in the morning. It's why it's important. It's one promise right off the bed, right off the bat. Make your bed in the morning. Because it is a small accomplishment. And if you do it consistently, that's a great accomplishment. And it sets the pace for the day. You brush your teeth every day, I hope. Yes. You know, if you don't, that's a sign of depression. Mm. Not looking after your own personal hygiene is a sign of depression. So if you're not making your bed, that's a sign of depression. If you have clutter in your house, that's a sign of depression. A cluttered house is a cluttered mind. Cluttered minds are not healthy. So I haven't had a drink in 
a year and a half. I got a little app on my phone, keeps track of exactly how many days that I've been sober. Congratulations. Thank you. That's a promise that I keep to myself every day. I can look at the app whenever I want to count those days. So that's a promise. Making my bed in the morning is a promise. Brushing my teeth is a promise that I'm keeping. The more promises you keep to yourself, the better you feel about yourself. That's how you love yourself. Yeah. Know what I'm hearing there, Mark? And it's something uh, that you've talked about on another one of your podcasts, but that's finding purpose, Mm. right? Finding purpose in your life and how finding that purpose can help you perform on a much better level. I always say, you know, gratitude is kind of the same thing. Like if I can find some purpose in just being good to another person, nothing better uh, for me to get me out of a funk. Uh, Not that, you know, one's supposed to share uh, an act of kindness, but I will share one uh, to where I saw that there was a lady that was on my social media that was having a bad day. And I don't know her incredibly well, but I know her well enough. And I know that she's a beautiful lady and she doesn't usually say something on social media Uh, in regards to something agitating her. And she wasn't that far from my house. So I just went to the grocery store and I bought her some flowers and brought it over to her. And I wasn't feeling particularly good that day. But when she came up to me and gave me a hug, that made me feel better. Seeing the look on her face, knowing that she knew exactly why I was there, even though maybe she hadn't seen me in months. Um, So purpose can come in a lot of different shapes and forms. Oh, I'd like to add to that. A lot of people struggle with what is my purpose? What is my purpose? Well, just be kind. Mm. And take pride. Find self-respect in every act of kindness that you take. And they don't have to be public acts of kindness. They don't have to be on Instagram. You don't need a thousand likes witnessing your act of kindness. Do it in private. Going through a drive-through at McDonald's one day, bringing my uh, oldest uh, home from cadets. He had just got his hat badge. So I was going to reward him with a Big Mac. And um, we go through and I saw a guy at the drive-through holding a sign that he's hungry. So got my kid his meal, parked in the, uh, in the waiting zone. And I told my boy to stay there. And my boy watched me walk up to this man, have a conversation with him, ask him what he wanted. And I got him the meal that he had requested, gave it to him. Simple, right? Cost me 10 bucks, big deal. And uh, for a moment, he has a meal. I did that for my son more than anybody else. More than for me, more than for the guy, I did it for my son. So, because actions are louder than words. Example is the strongest thing. And what did it cost me to be kind for a moment? Ten bucks. Ten bucks to teach my son a lesson that he'll never forget. Because that's not the first time and it wasn't the last time that I did something similar. Yeah. We're in Vancouver and, oh my God, the homeless in Vancouver. Um. So we went into uh, um, A&W. The Buddy Burgers were only two bucks each or whatever. Got a great big bag of Buddy Burgers. I think I spent 30 bucks on Buddy Burgers. And um, we went and they're all, you know, I was waking people up, tapping them on the shoulder and like, holy shit, what a nice thing to wake up 
too. It's like, it's mm-hmm. still warm. Get on it now. You know, and we handed out the buddy, buddy burgers until we were out of them. And um, my kids won't forget that. You right. Know? It sticks. It sticks. But you know, it also made their day because like, hey, thanks. Because they're treated like they're invisible. Right. Again, number one, human emotional need, affirmation, connection. So for a moment, you're a human being. I see you. Mm-hmm. And, I'm, and I'm responding to you. You're not alone. What a gift. Here's your buddy burger. It must be like a ghost coming through a wall uh, for those people, right? They only get acknowledged by their own for the most part. And then there's just everybody else that just kind of walks by like spirits. And I want to get to that point of leading by example, which you said is so important. Um, What are some things that an individual can do that's dealing with someone with PTSD or potentially dealing with PTSD? that they can lead by example to where it might help lead that individual towards recovery. Exactly what we talked about um, on show (laughs) 1.0. Yeah. Um, Just recovering out loud. That's why it's powerful Mm -hmm. because that's the only way to get rid of the stigma. People are not reaching out for help because of shame, Mm -hmm. shame from the stigma, but stigma is the shame. Right. If you recover out loud, that's the opposite of shame. But if you are the person with PTSD yeah. and I'm looking to lead by example, like just like, what are the things that I can do? How can I live my life in a way that would maybe encourage some things that I could do that might encourage that person that's suffering to want to share with me? If you're not recovering out loud, then you talk about other people that are. It's the me too thing. You know, it's, you have to create that community in their mind if they're not physically a part of that community, because mm-hmm. it's the strength from the community. That's part of the strength of Operation Tango Romeo. It right. creates a community of other people that are walking the walk or learning about walking the walk. Mm-hmm. And so talking about my show, you know, and, or talking about anybody's um, story of like, boy, they were so strong because Look at all this that they went through and they are just open. They're not ashamed. They're reaching out for help. I admire that so much. And talking about those stories is, is, is the only light that you can offer. Right. And that's even if I'm not suffering from PTSD, this is just me kind of doing my research and trying to understand where this person is at. Yeah. So if you can't tell your own story because you don't have one that's relevant, tell somebody else's. Okay. But, th- but that is the beacon. That is the lighthouse. And there is no other way that I know of because you can't just go up to somebody and go, hey, I see you're struggling. Here, here's a card of a psychologist. Give them a call. Like that, that doesn't work. That doesn't work. They have to self-discover that it's time to reach out and they won't do that if there's shame associated, if there's, um, it has to be a comfortable thing for them to do, or they won't do it most times. There's more people that are suffering in silence than, than reach out for help. And the system is still overwhelmed. Right. The system has to grow to, to um, uptake the capacity, to, to have the capacity. And people have to recover out loud more often or celebrate those that are, if you're not yourself, then celebrate those that are. And that is the light that you can shine for others to show the path. 
Right. And I'm hoping that doing this podcast shines a light. And I'm, I know for a fact that there's a lot of people in my network and they expressed it uh, in a social media post that I made that this would be a great topic to cover. And I think I know I got the right guy. <laughs> and I believe that they're going to hear this and it's, it's going to meet them on a level. And I would encourage them to reach out to you, uh, to listen to you. I mean, there's definitely uh, like Mark's the real deal. And we've chatted before and it's been really raw. And, and I don't know where you're at in your, in your journey. But if you're looking for a straight shooter, and it's not all that way, is that he has um, a really great perspective on things. Uh, he's lived it himself, and he's spoken to Lord knows how many people throughout the years that have been going through A, B, C, D, whatever. And as you can tell by just hearing him speak today, uh, you, you empathize, you come from the heart, your transparency is your strength, and I can't even tell you how happy I am that you are here. And I strongly encourage people to take a listen to Operation Tango Romeo if you're dealing with any type of PTSD whatsoever. Thanks for having me, man. Oh, that wasn't even a goodbye, buddy. Come here, give me, give me a hug. No, okay. <laughs> it wasn't, I, was just, I just thought I'd give you a nice plug. But I, I really do appreciate you being on the show, buddy. Uh, you know, thank you for letting me just basically see you, like, you know, and all of you. And, uh, you know, I know when this goes around from people in your network and people in mine, they're going to be very happy that we sat down and had this conversation. So thank you. Thank you. All right. And to everyone else, <laughs> hugs to you too. And you take care, be well and love simply because you can. And if you enjoyed the content, feel free to give it a like. If you have a question, leave a comment. And of course, always appreciate the subscribes.